Hey, 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 welcome to the Bookmark Podcast. It's Nabiha here. On this channel, we'll be discussing anything book-related, which is pretty self-explanatory from the title of the channel. Since this is the very first episode on this channel, I thought I'd make it a guide, specifically a beginner's guide to books, hence the title of the episode. This podcast is mainly brought to you by Goodreads. For those of you who don't know, Goodreads is basically a social media platform for books that has both a website and an app. You can use Goodreads to set a yearly reading goal so you can efficiently see how far along you are with your goal and how many books you've read that year. Personally, I've been slacking this year and I'm five books away from my goal. But that's what the winter break is for, I guess, to catch up on reading. On Goodreads, you can read or write reviews for books, follow people, and create lists of books you want to read or have already read. It's basically heaven for book lovers. I highly recommend it because it's a great resource to use to remember books on your to-be-read list if yours is extremely long to remember like mine is. Back to the podcast now. When you first start reading, you kind of have an idea of what you're looking for in a book. In today's episode, I'm going to recommend a few books that I personally think would be enjoyable reads, whether you're a beginner and trying to read more, or if you're already an avid reader and just need some recommendations. I'm also going to mention certain books that I don't think you should read if you want to start your journey as a reader, or if you're already going through an awful book reading slump. The first book that I would recommend would be The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stefan Chabosky. It has 4.2 stars out of 5 on Goodreads, which speaks for itself. The Perks of Being a Wallflower is a young adult contemporary novel told in a diary-like fashion that the protagonist's therapist told him to write in. For a book published in 1999, this book deals with a lot of issues that are still relevant today, like depression, homophobia, abuse, and etc. It somehow manages to portray all these issues realistically and in a way where you feel as though the protagonist and his friends are your friends. In my opinion, this book has the most realistic depiction of depression from any book that I've read. Even more realistic than books published today, although we have more of an understanding of mental illnesses now than we did 20 years ago which should mean that we should technically have a better grasp on them in literature than just stereotypes, but we don't. Which is probably why this book resonates so well with people today, especially those in high school going through some of the stuff Charlie, the protagonist, is. A quick fun fact about this book. Did you know that this book led to the author's success in screenplay writing in Hollywood? He's written the screenplay for several little movies. I don't know if you've heard of them, like the live action of Beauty and the Beast, or the film adaption of Wonder, or even the film adaption of The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Now, a book that I wouldn't recommend reading would be Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone by J.K. Rowling. I know a Potterhead somewhere out there gasp, but hear me, a self-proclaimed Potterhead out. I can pretty confidently say that if you're reading Harry Potter for the first time and are above the age of 12, you will not enjoy for the most part. Harry Potter is a middle grade read which is why a lot of people associate it with their childhood, which is where the nostalgia kicks in and people believe it's this masterpiece when it's not. This book holds a special place in my heart, but several of my friends who read it in high school hated it with a passion and didn't understand the hype. That's because they were older than the targeted audience. I even went ahead and lent my copy of this book to a friend two years ago, and she still hasn't returned it because she's set on finishing the book. It's just that she doesn't like it very much. The world building in the book is fantastic though, so maybe if you're looking for that, then you may enjoy it. But the characters for the most part are very clearly written for a middle grade novel. I'd even say that another middle grade novel, 
Percy Jackson does a much better job at world building and character development. Also, just want to add, Harry Potter being the only book or book series that you've read is not a personality trait. Please, I beg all of you, read another book. I'm so tired of every book out there with a male protagonist being called the next Harry Potter. It's so overdone and discredits a lot of authors in my opinion. Moving on, one of the sponsors that brought you this podcast is Grammarly. Want to go from a B to an A in English class? Use Grammarly. Grammarly is a free website that edits your long essays for you. It'll take your paper to the next level so you get the grade you want. You can also use it to edit important emails to a coworker so you sound sophisticated. Try Grammarly free today. Now, the next book I'm going to talk about is a part of a trilogy and one of my favorite ones at that. It's a book that I would say is even better the second time around reading it because you pick up on foreshadowing when you reread it. That book is The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. This book has 4.3 stars out of 5 on Goodreads and is a ride from the start. This book is set in a dystopic world where the government splits up people into groups that they call districts, which they're born into. Every year, they pick a teenage girl and guy from each district to go to what is known as the Hunger Games and fight in order to survive. This is a form of entertainment in the world, kind of the Bachelor gone horribly wrong in a way, which is interesting as a plot. I would say that this book has very complex great characters. Told through the perspective of the protagonist, Katniss Everdeen, this book starts to give depth to characters as it goes on. Most books in first person tend to go wrong with this, but The Hunger Games does it brilliantly. You view characters the way the protagonist would. For example, Hamish at the beginning of the book is viewed as this useless drunkard, since that's what Katniss sees him as. Even though he's giving some really good advice to her, you can't look past that. It's something that's noticeable when you look back at the book, but not so much the first time around, since that's not the way Katniss sees it, and you see it her way. An overlying theme in the book is good versus evil, which is pretty common in books, but The Hunger Games takes a twist on it. It shows that people on extreme sides of the spectrum are basically two sides of the same coin. Not to get political here, but you see that in today's societies too, with communism in China or capitalism in the States. Neither is good. A fact about this book is that there's a prequel coming out in 2020. So get started on reading this book and its sequels because a book release is something you do not want to miss for a franchise as big as this. Back to the books that I wouldn't recommend to those trying to get out of a reading slump or those who want to start reading more. If you despise an overuse of description, do not read any full-length book by Stephen King. He's known for two things, his iconic books in the horror genre and how you can literally kill someone by throwing a copy of it at them. It's over a thousand pages with size 8 font. Stephen King tends to have very lengthy descriptive books, which is why I think most of his books may turn people away from reading. I have recommended some of his books like It or Carrie to some of my friends who love reading and those who don't read much, and the vast majority of them cannot manage to get through them. I've had a few who love description and can get through them, so if you love description and having an author paint a vivid picture in your head, you could give it a shot. Now, if that's not the case for you, don't even attempt them because a treacherous book slump is not worth it for the plot, especially because, in my opinion, he's not one of the best authors when it comes to endings. I can say that I've been let down by Stephen King on more than one occasion when it comes to satisfying endings. His books always have great build-up to them, but the endings. Let's just leave it at them not being great. 
Now, if you are looking for a book with spooky vibes, although not scary, I'd say give Coraline by Neil Gaiman a shot. This has a 4.1 out of 5 stars on Goodreads. Yes, the movie is based on this book, and yes, this is a graphic novel, but hear me out. I know a lot of people debate over whether graphic novels are real books, and I would say no in most cases, but this one is just special. The images really add to the story without overshadowing the writing. They work with each other. Coraline is about this girl named, you guessed it, Coraline. Coraline's family just moved to this new house, which has a small mysterious door that leads to the world. It all seems quite fantastic at first, but it turns out to not be what Coraline imagined it as. It's basically what Narnia would be if the door led to another version of the human world rather than the winter wonderland it was. Now, if you're looking for another graphic novel similar to Coraline in the horror retrospect, I would tell you to give A Monster's Call by Patrick Ness a chance. This has 4.37 stars out of 5 on Goodreads, which is more than any other book I've mentioned so far. Although you definitely could buy versions of this book without the illustrations, they definitely add something to the story which makes it stand out. The story could be told without the images, but they seem to add somewhat of a sentimental tone to the book. I personally read the version with images because the illustrations really make you feel something, for lack of better ways to describe it. The author of the story manages to take this horrifying creature that has been visiting this young boy, Connor, the protagonist, and tie it with his ill mother. This book will have you feeling a roller coaster of emotions and is overall a fantastic read. I don't read a lot of graphic novels, but this one stood out to me. I can definitely say that this is in my top 10 books of all time, even though I went into it with extremely low expectations. A book that I would not recommend reading would be anything by Rainbow Rowell, but specifically Eleanor and Park. The book reading community for some reason was obsessed with this book and this author years ago, and I have to say it was underwhelming. I would say she has the same problem as Stephen King. She has the can-only-give-books-underwhelming-ending syndrome. I've attempted to read a few of her other works, including Fangirl, and was also extremely disappointed as it did not live up to my expectations. If that doesn't already make you not want to read her books, just the pure racism in Eleanor and Park should do that. A book revolving around a redhead girl and an Asian boy who become unlikely friends on the bus, except, here's the best part, those character traits are their personalities. I just felt that a lot of things said in the book, specifically about Park and his mom, were flat out racist. Not in a positive way where they overcame it. Oh no, in a way where they accepted those racist marks in a negative way, since that's apparently their fate. It's astonishing when you find out that Rainbow Rowell is a white woman who has no problem writing in such a derogatory way. If you don't mind reading about Latin racism, where the author built her character's personalities off of stereotypes and cannot write endings for the life of her, well, Eleanor Park is just for you. Anyways, moving on to the next book, which is a story set in Asia that deals with coming above the preconceived notions about oneself in a much better way than Eleanor Park, and is written by an Afghani man. That book would be A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khalid Husseini, which has 4.36 stars out of 5 stars on Goodreads. Khalid Husseini is known for his books about the war in Afghanistan like The Kite Runner, and this book is no different. A Thousand Splendid Sons takes course over several decades in Afghanistan. It follows two protagonists, Miriam and Layla, who are from two different generations. Miriam is a young girl born out of a wedlock in Afghanistan, which her mom is shunned for. This leads to her mom resenting both Miriam and Miriam's father. 
Eventually tired of her mom's disdain, Miriam decides to move in with her dad, who she sees as some sort of hero. Tragically, he isn't. Everything kind of goes downhill from there for Miriam. Layla, on the other hand, is living a semi-decent life until a bomb strike takes everything away from her. She loses her family, her home, and her best friend who she was planning on running away to marry. I had tears in my eyes several times while reading this novel. It really gets to you, so you should probably be in the mental space to read a book about abuse, war, and child marriages before reading this novel. A fun fact about this book is that it sold over a million copies in its first week. That's an astonishing feat, especially for a standalone novel where the author has only written one other book previously. Anyways, that's all the time we have for today's podcast. If you end up reading any of the books mentioned on today's podcast, tweet us at the Bookmark Podcast. Or even better yet, follow us on Goodreads at the Bookmark Podcast. If you want, you can also join the Goodreads book club we have called Readers Are Us. The Readers Are Us book for the month of December is The Raven Boys by Maggie Stevie Otter, the first book in the Raven Cycle duology. Next week's podcast is going to be a review on that book. Until next time. Bye.